0: you know, things like this make people like, huh, I listened to this podcast. Now I know a little bit about bioethics. Oh, that's definitely going to be like a blurb on our website now. The like endorsement (laughs) (laughs) of how great and important it is. I think it is. I think it's important. Welcome to this episode of Bioethics for the People, an informal look at hot topics, controversies, and scholarship dealing with bioethics, medicine, technology,
1: and anything else we're interested in.
0: We're your hosts, Devin Stahl from Waco, Texas.
1: And I'm Tyler Gibb from Kalamazoo, Michigan.
0: And yes, that's a real place.
1: So Devin, what are some of the big questions or big topics or kind of traditional bioethics questions that most people would think of when, when they think of bioethics?
0: I think there's a few. So a lot of people will think about things like, what do you do if somebody's in a coma? And how long should you let them stay like that before you quote unquote, pull the plug? I know everybody knows this, but you wouldn't just pull a plug and everybody's like treatment would stop because then if a power outage happened, everyone would die. So pulling a plug doesn't really actually apply, but
1: it's not really a thing.
0: Not not really a thing, but I I get what they mean by that. Um, So there's kind of questions about that, like when should we unplug people or when should we allow people to die? There's the perennial, you know, euthanasia. I saw that New Zealand just passed a physician aid in dying law. I mean, abortion, which I always try not to talk about um, (laughs) just because it's so controversial. That's not true. I do talk about it in my class because it is so controversial that you have to kind of talk about it. Yeah, I think those are kind of the big ones. Maybe like, what do you do if a child is born really ill? You know, is it ever okay to let a child die? I mean, these are like sad, huge questions. Do you do any of those topics? Or do you get asked to talk about those?
1: Yeah, I think that I get asked to talk about them way more than I'm interested in talking about them. I mean, they're they're hard topics, because there's not a lot of middle ground in those. Like people kind of have their their views or their positions set. And sometimes it just devolves into a question of what is legal. What does this particular state law say about X, Y, or Z?
0: Tyler, have you ever given a paper or written something that you thought was clearly bioethics that somebody questioned you, whether it was really bioethics or not?
1: Yes, it happens all the time. Really? Um, yeah. So I think because I take kind of a legalistic, lawyerly approach to things That I think people who are from a more traditional, like philosophical perspective, don't see that as bioethics. So, so I had a project that I submitted for funding for grant funding, and what I was looking at was the ways in which physicians and nurses and healthcare providers get in trouble with their licensure. Right, so um, people who have committed drug diversion or committed crimes or for whatever reason that they are either suspended or have their medical license or nursing license revoked. And so I was doing a quantitative project looking at that, and the reviewers told me that it was not bioethics, which I still disagree with. But
0: Yep, I agree. Not bioethics, and I wouldn't fund it. <laughs> Here's one for you. Okay. I wrote an article about labiaplasty, mm. which is a procedure in which surgeons are sculpting and changing the appearance of women's labia. I, so I went through some of like the reasons why surgeons are doing this, the reasons why women are asking for it, just to kind of complexify kind of what's going on there, trying to trying to think through the history of that procedure, but also the motivations of women. And I didn't conclude with saying we should absolutely prohibit this or we should allow everyone to do this. That wasn't really the point. But I had a colleague afterwards who said, well, it's not really bioethics unless you take a normative stance on whether it should be policy that everyone's allowed to do this or everybody's, you know, it should be absolutely prohibited. And I thought, wow, what a narrow way to think about bioethics if we have to decide on a policy for everybody rather than just kind of digging through the nuance of how things came to be and and the multiple factors that shape the ways that we think about our own bodies and then how we ask healthcare to intervene on those bodies. To me, that's bioethics too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the rising generation of people working in bioethics have a much more inclusive view of what it means and what it is and what what are appropriate or legitimate bioethics topics.
0: I think so too. And I think when we talk to Dr. Ray today, my guess is she'll say the same thing is that, you know, she wants to talk about health disparities and maybe that's not always been seen as a bioethics issue, but Goodness, how is it not a bioethics issue? How is this not an issue of, you know, both justice, which is an ethical principle, but also, you know, access to healthcare? Is it not unjust that some people don't have the same access to healthcare? Is that not an ethics issue? And then by all means, why is it not a bioethics issue?
1: Yeah, I think that we agree on on a very broad definition of what bioethics means.
0: are pleased today to talk with Dr. Keisha Ray. Dr. Ray is an assistant professor at the McGovern Center for Humanities and Ethics at the McGovern Medical School. Welcome Keisha. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Keisha, the first thing that we ask everybody on this podcast so far, because it's a bioethics podcast, do you consider yourself a bioethicist?
2: So yes, I do now. I will say that it took Maybe some time for me to say that for a while, because I am trained in philosophy, and that's what my PhD is in. For a while, I considered myself a philosopher who maybe dabbled in bioethics or maybe bioethics was secondary. Um, as my career progressed and as sort of my research interests developed and took shape, and I kind of just got more comfortable in my research agenda, I started to see that I am much more of a bioethicist than maybe what I thought, and but. My approach to bioethics is of that of a philosopher. I think partly what made me not identify as a bioethicist right away was feeling kind of out. Like maybe I did a belong wrong, like maybe my research wasn't bioethics. And I will say for a long time, my research was thought of as not bioethics. And actually, I was told that my research was not bioethics. So I think part of it was just feeling like uh, the bioethics wasn't for me, like there wasn't a place for a philosophy trained black woman in bioethics. But I would say now I'm much more comfortable in owning that. Yes, I am a bioethicist. Yes, my work is bioethics. And yes, this kind of work um, needs to be done in bioethics. So, yes, I am a proud bioethicist.
1: So Keisha, how did you make the transition from kind of what we consider kind of more mainstream philosophy into bioethics? Was there a particular issue or a mentor maybe that you had that that kind of guided you along those pathways?
2: Yeah, um, I will say getting into bioethics. Um, at first, before I started grad school and I was kind of looking around after graduating from undergrad from Baylor, I kind of was sort of looking for what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to be in higher education. I knew that I wanted to be a professor. I just still wasn't very clear about what. I had some medical school aspirations at first, and then quickly decided that was not the path for me. And I just happened to meet philosopher Anita Silver, a very well-known disability ethicist at Pixie, which is a group at Kent State. It's a group for underrepresented people in philosophy. So it's a seminar, week-long seminar for junior undergrad, and it's diverse people, people from all different kinds of racial, ethnic backgrounds, different sexual orientations, different levels of ability and disabilities. And it's just trying to get them to be more encouraged to participate in professional philosophy. So I attended that, and that's where I met Anita Silvers, and she kind of introduced me to bioethics. I just kind of told her what my interests are in research and scholarship, and she said, that kind of sounds like bioethics, and I went, I don't know what that means, I've never heard that term before, can you tell me what that is, and she sort of to me, she actually put me in contact with one of her writing partners, Leslie Francis, who was the chair of the philosophy department at University of Utah at the time, they worked it out, I got admitted, I got fully funded, and then I just went from there, learning from Leslie Frances, people like uh, Peggy Batten was also there. And so from these, you know, these great pillars in bioethics, Leslie Francis and Peggy Batten at my grad school, I just sort of learned, you know, what bioethics is, what things that I could do in bioethics and how I can contribute. And so it just sort of took off from there. But it was really from great mentors and great people who said, You have a place here, you have something to contribute. And I'm going to help you find a way to do that. And then they just sort of said, let me help you. And now it's you go do your thing,
0: set so you free. So
2: um, it was really through the help of a great mentors that I am here in bioethics.
0: Yeah, so Keisha, when you say that at first maybe that you didn't feel like your research was bioethics and you had to sort of grow into what that meant, can you tell us more about, about what you mean by that? Sure. So again, being
2: trained in philosophy, most of my graduate work, was in philosophy, in traditional philosophy, bioethics is only a small part of that training. So when I graduated and I was going on the job market, I just assumed that I had to be in a philosophy department. i had I assumed that that was going to be the dominant force behind my research and my scholarship. Um, I still wasn't aware that you can be, philosophy uh, scholar and be in places like in a medical school or in a center for humanities and ethics in a medical school or in other kinds of um, non-philosophy departments, right? Um, So it was only through sort of this exploration and finding that there are bioethicists in all kinds of departments, in psychology departments and sociology departments, bioethicists are really everywhere. And so it was only through, you know, going to conferences like ASBH, talking to other sort of senior scholars in the field. Um, Just really getting getting to know the field more and learning that maybe I can have a place here. Maybe this is where I need to be because of the kind of work that I want to do. Maybe it's a little bit more bioethics than it is philosophy. So yeah, so it, it took a little while for me to sort of figure that out. Also too, you know, sometimes there's, Forces working against you really when you work on things that are not seen as traditional bioethics topics. When you're doing topics that are not precision assisted death or abortion, things that are typically considered the bread and butter of bioethics or those topics that really brought our field to have influence in, in, um, in medicine and in healthcare. When you study different things, your topics that you do study can be seen as sort of an outcast. So sometimes studying race as a bioethicist um, wasn't always accepted. Or I was told, you know, maybe you won't find a job studying that topic. Maybe you should try something else. Or on job interviews told, now why do you think that this belongs in a bioethics department or in a medical school? So sometimes it wasn't always just me not thinking I didn't belong. Sometimes it was people in the field telling me, I don't belong in bioethics because of the kinds of topics that I study, which is yeah. mostly race and racial disparities in health.
1: Yeah. Boy, you've, um, I mean, the last six months has proven that, <laughs> proven them wrong, right? Goodness. Yeah, Goodness.
2: absolutely. How busy I've been since yeah. March definitely says yeah. that the field is changing, which I am very, very happy about. <laughs> yeah.
1: That reminds me of a, a line that one of my professors in grad school said. He said, when somebody asked him what bioethics was, he said, well, bioethics is anything that i'm interested in because i'm a bioethicist
2: yeah yeah that's what you know i try to say that Any, i i say that about vulnerable people and vulnerable groups like any topic that is about justice for a vulnerable population like people of color like people with disabilities groups like that i think that that's a bioethics topic right we are so concerned about autonomy and justice and taking care of the most vulnerable populations among us, then any topic that affects their well-being is bioethics. But, you know, that wasn't always what was getting me a job or what was getting me invited to write articles or to give presentations. For a while that was actually working against me having that idea mm. but now i'm happy to say that is not quite the case um i've been very busy since the pandemic has began uh, and i, I take that as a positive sign though i take it as bioethics is, is starting to become more uh, receptive to topics and race and topics about vulnerable populations
0: i've given so many talks on like euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide <laughs> which is like not my topic you know, at all, but people are so interested in it. No one's ever asked me to give a presentation on abortion. Thank goodness, because ugh, that's a minefield, right? But yeah, but yeah those like sort of, <laughs> or people will say, gosh, if they, when they learn about like the clinical ethics work that I do, they'll say, so you just walk around, like pull in plugs. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, no, no, that's not <laughs> what I do at all. But people love those. They think right away about those like sort of big topics that have a lot of attention on them, but really aren't the kind of work that most of us are doing. There's only really a select number of people who are doing that stuff, and maybe it was more true like you said at the beginning. But these days, it's a much wider field and there's room hopefully, and you can tell me in your experience, if this is true. It sounds like you're saying there is more room, although maybe just in the last few months, that's depressing, but <laughs> but it's getting bigger. So so tell us about what it means to you know work in a space that hasn't always been valued. And what kinds of strides do you think people in bioethics are making to include those bigger issues?
2: Yeah, you know, when, when you're in bioethics, and you don't work again, what I call the bread and butter topics, like you said, euthanasia, Abortion, precision assisted death, resource allocation—you uh, know when you don't work on these on the topics that made bioethics a name, right? That created departments and centers in bioethics, right? These are the topics that made us a name in medicine and healthcare. But when you don't do those, you're sort of always fighting to be heard. You're sort of always fighting to say this is important too. This matters a lot, and in fact this is why it matters and this is how it matters and this is how what you're doing how what we are doing is connected to what bioethics is supposed to be or what bioethics claims to be so you're you're sort of having to assert yourself as a worthwhile topic and a worthwhile area of study but also saying this is how what we do fits into what you already do or what bioethics does so it's a sort of two-fold issue when you study things like race, right? If you say race and talking about people of color and their health is important in and of its own self, but it's also important because this is what bioethics should be talking about. Bioethics claims to be X, Y, and Z. This is how this topic fits in. So you have to be unique, but not too unique. You have to still show that this is bioethics, right? You can't go too far outside the grain. And so that's sometimes what what happens. And then another thing that always happens is the people who usually study these topics or a little outside of the, the main arena of bioethics are usually stakeholders, right? So for me, I study Black health. I study racial disparities in health. I am a Black woman as well. So to some degree, I have a stake in this research. I have a stake in Learning and correcting racial disparities in healthcare, but when you have a stake in it, people sometimes, when you have a stake in your own research, will sometimes try to dismiss it and say things like, Well, of course, you would say that. Of course, you would say black health is in a dire position right now in healthcare because you're black. Of course, you would say we should talk about people with disabilities and research allocation during the pandemic because you have a disability, right? That's the kind of thoughts that you'll see happening when you are a stakeholder in your own research. And so sometimes that is another thing that you have to overcome so that your work is not discredited. Just because I have a stake in Black health because I am Black doesn't mean that this research is any less worthy and is any less of an important issue for bioethicists.
1: What you're describing sounds so familiar with the way that bioethics is treated in like the medical sphere, right? Bioethics, kind of in general, are often trying to say, well, w- what about us? We want to sit at the table too. And what you're describing is bioethics as a field doing that same thing to more marginalized or, or voices that aren't quite as powerful.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I frequently say that. So it's funny that you said that I frequently think of studying race as saying, what about us? we matter too. Or saying, we would like a seat at the table, too. We don't want to own the table, but we'd like a seat at the table, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's sometimes that's an unfortunate way to think about it because it's kind of like I always feel like it's nagging. You know, it's pulling that someone's coattail saying, Pay attention to me. But also it's like the big elephant in the room. Right. So many of the topics that we study in the bioethics apply differently to different groups of people, to different racial groups, to different. Um, gender groups, right? So we can't even talk about the bread and butter topic of bioethics without also saying this is how it applies differently to these different racial groups. I try not to think of it as nagging because if nagging to me means something you know, something annoying and something that you shouldn't be doing, you know, like a little kid begging for a new toy or something like that. That's not what I want to think of my, my profession mm-hmm. as or my job as. But sometimes it can feel a little tiring to say, you know, what about us? But that's the work that we have to do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it because it is a worthwhile task for me. Yeah,
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with nagging. I'm a big, I'm a big nagger. Ask my husband.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it gets the work done. You know, sometimes it gets the job done, and and that's really what I care about in the day. So if that's what I have to do, then um, yeah, you'll you'll keep hearing this voice nagging away buying Wessex.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so recently, you you've been writing a lot. Like you said, you've been very busy over the last several months with um, not only the pandemic but also kind of the social justice. I don't know if it's a reawakening or an awareness or w- what's going on, but you, you've written quite a bit about hashtag black bioethics or like advocacy stuff. Can you tell us more about that? And also like what bioethicists ought to be thinking about in terms of race and, ju- and racial justice?
2: Sure. And um, so kind of what we've been talking about, black bioethics sort of came out from that, this not getting a seat at the table, sort of being Told that this isn't worthy to be talked about in bioethics, that racial disparities in healthcare, um, racial disparities in health outcomes are not appropriate bioethics topics or not as important as some of the other topics. Third, Black bioethics is focus on we can take the tools and we can take the systems and we can take the concepts that bioethics teaches us to approach different ethical dilemmas and apply that specifically. To the healthcare, to the health and the well being of Black people that is being ignored, especially now that we see racial disparities in COVID testing, COVID infection, COVID hospitalizations, and COVID deaths, that there is a racial component to who is dying from COVID and who is getting infected from COVID. It's sort of bringing to light that there are a lot of health disparities that have a racial component. Cancer, diabetes hypertension pain management right there's so many different areas of our life and our well-being that if you are black if you are a uh, latinx if you are an indigenous person you are likely to have worse health outcomes um so black by Wealth is really this response to saying what about us we matter too and if you aren't going to let us have a seat at the table that's fine. But then we're going to create our own table. We're going to talk about these issues. We're going to discuss these issues. We're going to create advocacy programs. We are going to correct these problems. If you don't let us do it with you, then we'll do it without you. And so Black Biologics to me is really this ownership that we are going to do something about racial disparities in healthcare. We are going to do something about Black health and we'll do it with or without bioethics, I, I hope bioethics is helpless. And I think that they should. And I think black bioethics is really saying we we should be doing this together. This is bioethics. We just want you to take note of it. But if you don't, then we'll work on it ourselves. Because so that's what I think of black bioethics. I think too, sometimes with black bioethics, it can sort of get a, a bad, a bad rap. People think that it's trying to be separatist or that it's trying to break away. And I mean, in some degree, yes, in some degree, no, it's not necessarily a a desire to do that. Bioethics has so many tools that can help us approach this problem of racial disparities in healthcare, where you're saying now, can you give some of those tools and some of that attention to these vulnerable groups, if you truly care about things like autonomy and justice, and non-maleficence, and beneficence? Let's really see those principles put into action for some of the most vulnerable groups. And right now, one of those vulnerable groups is Black individuals.
0: So Keisha, I can see how Black bioethics is trying to redirect people toward marginalized populations, toward um, sort of how race influences health disparities and the ways that people receive health care and their overall health. Do you think Black bioethics is also or is evolving into a kind of methodology of itself? So it's not just about the content that you and others want to study, but it's also about the ways in which you're going to look at bioethics more generally?
2: Sure. I think it's going to be half and half. So there's definitely, if you look at black bioethics, it's definitely reminiscent of bioethics, right? It's not a huge departure because it's using some of the same tools and the same ideologies. But yes, there is maybe sort of some redirection on the emphasis. So there's probably going to be a little bit more emphasis on justice than you may see in some areas where justice may be balanced out with the autonomy or something like that. And black bioethics, you're going to see a little bit more turn on. Let's talk about justice and how that can be applied in different ways here to promote the health of Black people. Um, you might see even more emphasis just on social justice and then examination of what in, injustices look like. Because unfortunately, when you talk about Black people and their health, you have to talk about injustices, whether that's on an individual basis or a community level or whether that's on a population level. Um, you have to sort of start from there because it's just the reality. Maybe one day we won't have to start from there. But I think right now we have to start with, what are the factors that are working against Black people trying to secure health and well-being? And I think that's not typical in bioethics. sort of start from injustice. I think bioethics tends to start from ethical dilemmas. But when you talk about Black health, there really isn't an ethical dilemma. There is no, let's reason through how this side could be right and this side could be wrong, because when it's about poor health, it's not really a, a right side. It's... How do we fix this? Here's the injustice. How do we identify it? Now, how do we remedy it? Um, and so I think that's not the typical methodology of bioethics, right? It's more of here is where we went wrong, now how do we fix it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's some different methodologies there, definitely black bioethics, but I wouldn't say drastically, it is still bioethics, it is still principled in nature. Um, It is still about advocacy, which I think bioethics is about advocacy as well. And so it's not so drastic that you can't, if you look at Black bioethics, you wouldn't be able to identify that it's bioethics. It's still bioethics. And that's important to me. I wish there wasn't a Black bioethics. I just want to be bioethics, But if that's not going to happen, then I'm not going to wait for the scraps to be thrown off the table. I'm going to go and and make it happen. And I think that's what black bioethicists are, are doing. They're just making it happen for themselves.
1: What would you suggest a young emerging early career bioethicist or somebody still in grad school, what would you recommend they, they read, who they should look up to, what kind of work they should focus on to further kind of the ideals that, that you were talking about in, in black bioethics?
2: Sure. So some of the classics are going to be people like Harriet Washington's work, Dorothy Roberts, their work on Black apartheid, their work on environmental racism. That is going to be some essential reading to studying about race and healthcare. If you are more concerned about the clinical side of it, John Hoberman's Black and Blue is is an essential text. Damon Tweedy, if you are, especially if you are a Black medical student or resident intern, his book talking about his experiences as a Black medical student and then eventually as a, as a Black um, attending and practicing physician is, is really going to be important work. So those are some of the, the works that I think, there are, of course, other people that are working like Kamisha Russell, Yolanda Wilson, that are doing really good work in, in race and in bioethics. But if you want just the staple, Dorothy Roberts, Harriet Washington, John Hoberman, Damon Tweedy, those are going to be some of the essential books. Those are also some of the ones that my students
0: read. My medical students, we definitely read those books. And those are some of the books that I use in my own research as well. Great. Thanks, Keisha. And we'll link to those books on our website for folks who are interested. It strikes me that there really just aren't enough Black bioethicists at this point. And I'm really grateful to people like you, Keisha, and others who are blazing this trail, hopefully you serve as an inspiration to many students right now who are thinking that they might want to become bioethicists. So if you're a person of color or you're interested in helping to rectify health disparities for racial and ethnic minorities, there is a place for you in bioethics.
2: Absolutely, yeah. This is definitely something that I tell my students as well, particularly my my black students, they have a strong desire to study the humanities and the ethics side of medicine. They, they want to study bioethics. They'll take one of my science fiction and bioethics course or my race and gender and cultural bioethics course, and they'll, they'll spark an interest. So I try to encourage them that, you know, you have a place there in bioethics as well. You want to write, you want to study, you want to research, you want to have discussions about these topics. You should do that. There is a place for you in bioethics you can sort of, you create your own spot. And so I, I really try to encourage them that to think of bioethics as very open, that there's so many different ways to be a bioethicist and that can include the kind of way that they want to be a bioethicist.
0: I wanna take your course on science fiction. That sounds really fun.
2: Yeah, it is. I do this course in science fiction and bioethics for fourth years, so I want to be able to get them talking without having to go and do research. Right? I want them to just talk about bioethics and how it relates to everyday life, because I really want them to see that bioethics is really everywhere, even in you're watching a TV show or a movie in science fiction. So we will read some essays. We will watch some TV shows on you know, Hulu or Netflix or we'll watch a movie on Amazon Prime that is on science fiction and we'll talk about the bioethics topics in there. Um and they, they really enjoy it. I think they and I try to make it diverse. You read articles from written by Latinx men, black women, Asian women, um I try to also throw that in there too. They don't they don't necessarily see it, but I just want them to know that they're getting diverse articles, diverse directors of films and stuff like that, too. So it's a really cool class.
0: I'm actually heartened by the last time I taught a med school class, it got brought up not by me, but by my students, they asked me outright, how many of these authors are women? How many of them are not white? How many of them have other identities? And that was something they brought to me. And I thankfully had thought about that as well before I created my syllabus. But I'm really heartened by med students today, Mm -hmm. thinking that that's important at all. Yeah, med students are changing in those ways.
2: Yeah, they really are. I am very optimistic about the future whenever I teach my medical students, because They want those kinds of things. They are demanding a diverse curriculum. They are demanding to know how to better treat people of color so we can end racial disparities, right? They want to have diverse readership in their classes. They want to have discussions that are about social justice, and they want to talk about advocacy and what kind of advocacy they can participate in as students and what can they do once they are
0: practicing decisions. They are in great shape to be movers and shakers in the field. So one thing in 2020 to be optimistic about is that med students are on it, <laughs> if nothing else.
2: They are. Med students are on it. They, they are ready. They are they're ready to protest. They are ready to find ways to be advocates for their individual patients. They're ready to go to the administration and how to change policies that affect people of color. They, they are on it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree, agree more. That's totally been my experience with medical students that I get to work with. Keisha, thank you for uh, spending a a few minutes with us this afternoon and um, talking about your work and the ways in which you're trying to help shape the future of bioethics.
2: Thank you for having me. This was great. Thank you both.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Bioethics for the People. Special thanks to Chris Wright for writing and performing our theme music. For show notes, visit bioethicsforthepeople.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: We probably need to like thank her before we stop the oh, recording, yeah, <laughs> so it doesn't oh, yeah. just end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fade to black. Yeah,
0: okay. well, that's uh, that's apt. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Fade to black by <laughs>